and welcome to Never Seen It, a podcast where we watch movies we haven't seen yet. I'm your host, Betsy, and with me is my co-host and my husband. It's Trent! Hi, we watch a lot of movies. We do watch a lot of movies. We're getting close to 100. Yeah. But not yet. Today, we're still in the 90s, uh, metaphorically speaking, (laughs) as far as movies go. But we are traveling back to the 60s because we are watching Mel Brooks' The Producers. His first movie. Because, much to my chagrin, my dear husband Trent has never seen The Producers. Okay. All right. I have seen a stage show of The Producers. Yes, you have seen the musical performed live. Yeah. And you have not seen the original movie. No. Why, Trent? Why? You like Mel Brooks. I love Mel Brooks. What have you been doing with your life? (laughs) I think it was just one of those things that was not readily available for me. It wasn't on TV a lot. It, I mean, it was probably out on DVD and Blu-ray and whatnot, but... Like, we bought a Mel Brooks collection, and it wasn't included in that. Mm -hmm. It's, I think it's a matter of availability. Well, I'm just, I call shenanigans. Not that I didn't (laughs) want to see it or anything like that. But I know quite a bit from this movie outside of it. Because, you know, I know some of the songs. I know some of the references. I know what the the thing is going to be about. You know the vibe because you've seen enough of his movies to know it's yeah. kind of the same shtick. There's yeah. there's winks and nods. There's usually a musical number that doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense, but we love it being there. Horribly inappropriate. <laughs> Typically, yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. And it's amazing. And I don't know why you haven't watched it. So I call shenanigans. I just told you. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I can't get over my disbelief, which is why we're doing this to fix this. Yes. So you said you've seen the stage musical. Yeah. But we've only seen it once, and I know that was quite a few years ago. Yeah. So do you remember anything about that show, or what do you know just contextually about the movie? The basic plot is there are there's a producer, and I think is it's his accountant, they're in some kind of trouble, like money trouble, and they need to put on a show and make some money. And, like, I can't remember exactly how they get there, but they want to produce a show that is going to be, like, so offensive to accomplish some goal. I can't remember why. Okay. So that's where we get the producers. <laughs> and this this musical that they produce is about... Hitler? <laughs> it is about Hitler, yes. As all musicals clearly are. All good ones, anyway. Obviously. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, we're going to get in trouble. Eh, Mel Brooks did Mel it. Mel Brooks did it's it. It's called satire. Yeah. <laughs> and also, that's the interesting thing about this, is this was made in 1967, so this was not that long after World War II. Right, and like you would think that, okay, the people who lived through that they by by then you could have a sense of humor about it and i think as as a society you have to get past it you have to be able to look back on something and have a sense of humor right. cuz you have to something tragic like that mm-hmm. you you have to be able to to cope with it somehow so yes you'll see that uh this is this is definitely satire as far as that element of it is concerned yeah there he made a very conscious choice so you'll understand that Mm -hmm. uh what else do you know about this movie well it's it's gene wilder yeah playing i think the accountant i can't remember the names i know the first the first guy is is a is a weird name that i can barely pronounce bial the stock or something like that bialstock bialstock okay and bloom yes bloom okay bialstock and bloom (laughs) see i I remember that (laughs) and i know that at the end of the at the end of the show, the the musical is actually very very successful, but just despite the the content despite of it. itself. Yes, <laughs> yes, I know that much. So again, I've seen the show, the stage show. I really enjoyed it. It was put on by a very small production. Mm-hmm. In fact, it was one of the uh, the the people. One of the was stars. One of the stars, one of the two men, was played by your brother, Rick. That's why we went to see it. Exactly. Of it w- course. It was, it was a really good show. 
That was a long time ago, too. That was Probably quite like a few years ago now. Seven, eight, nine years ago. It's yeah. been a while. I and suppose. And the the stage show, admittedly, is a little different from the movie. Not drastically, but there are some changes that they made for the stake for the sake of the show. Okay. Because not everything is going to translate from 1967 to 2000 or whatever it sure. was this musical came out. Sure. But, okay. Well, I think you you have kind of a sense of what you're about to experience. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know what a Mel Brooks movie is. Yep. So I like Gene Wilder. I don't know the other guy. Zero uh, Mustel. Zero Mustel. You had I, it earlier, I've, so I've never, I'll give you that. Yeah, I've never seen anything else of his, mm-hmm. I don't think. Probably not. I don't think he lived too much longer after this, did he? Uh, probably not. He died pretty young, I think. Yeah. Uh, but he did have some hits, and we'll talk about that a little bit later after we watch this movie. So we're going to go do that. We're going to go watch The Producers, and we will be right back. So that, Trent, is The Producers. Yeah. What did you think? It really holds up. God, this movie's fucking funny. (laughs) (laughs) 55 years later. Good God. This movie's still hilarious. It really is. And you know why it's hilarious? Not only just because Mel Brooks is an exquisite comedy writer. Yes. But those two together have the most bombastic, insane energy, and they're yeah. having so much fun yeah. that it's hard not to enjoy this. <laughs> oh, totally. And, and like, you, you combine their energy, like, as you're saying, with the 60s mentality of physical comedy. Yeah, like Max is like falling over himself and other things and breaking tables and just doing the things that you're used to seeing in back in those days. An over the but top he's buffoon. Doing, he's doing all this action as if he's not a very large man. Yeah. <laughs> I, it, it reminds me of Chris Farley in a way. Because yeah. Chris Farley had that kind of like energetic persona where he just he didn't care how big he was. Mm-hmm. He like I watched the clip of him coming into the David Letterman show and he's like just completely crazed and like picking up uh, a fake audience member, bringing him out <laughs> over a fireman's carry, picking up an audience member, fireman's carry style, taking him outside, putting him in a dumpster and then running back into the studio doing a cartwheel, doing another cartwheel and then sitting down. It's the funny fat guy thing. Yeah. Some guys, they're heavy, but they have so much energy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Zero Mostel definitely had that. Yeah. And this is like the peak of his career right here. He made Mm -hmm. this movie, and then he made, right around the same time, a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Okay. Which is a Stephen Sondheim musical. And yeah. he was the star on Broadway, and then he made the movie. Okay. So he's a big Broadway star in the late 60s. And he also originated the role of Tevya in oh. Fiddler on the Roof. Okay. Which, if you think about that in relationship to having seen the movie, because you've seen Fiddler on the Roof. I have, yeah. And they make it more like very straight to screen, heavy kind of drama musical. Okay. And it's always fascinating to me. I would have loved to see Zero Mostel in that because I just think of him as this, this kind of crazy person. And him playing Tevya fascinates me (laughs) (laughs) because I always think of the movie where it's a little more like grounded in reality. But the, the, the stage version is there's a little more humor there. Hmm. And I just, yeah, I think it's just an interesting <laughs> thought. <laughs> and you can tell this dude spent a lot of time on stage because he has to emote and he has to emote big. 
Oh yeah. Like his eyes. He has a react every, face. The entire time I was just staring into his eyes. Yeah. And they're just they're huge. And he's, huge. he's just like angry, screaming, laughing, yeah. crying. Dude can emote big. Yes. And you have to if you're a stage actor. Absolutely. And I think that's that's where he's really bringing his his acting style here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this would make sense to turn into a musical or a play or whatever. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, he was he was very, very fitting for this part. Yes. I can't imagine another person playing this role because he's insane. <laughs> <laughs> he's just screaming and wooing and dancing and laughing. And he has terrible comb over and just <laughs> he takes it to 11. The whole movie. The whole He is at an 11 the whole fucking movie. <laughs> and this movie is not very long. It's about no. an hour and a half. No. Uh, and like 20 minutes of that is the show. Like yeah. The actual show. Yeah. There's um, a good chunk of the movie that is the actual springtime for Hitler performance. Yeah. Now, just taking the opposite end of that, Gene Wilder. Yeah. It was strange to have Gene Wilder play such a kind of a mousy uh, role and not being the main act. He's not the star here. He's no. the supporting actor. Gene Wilder, I'm not used to him being supporting. So, two things about this. One, he's very young here. He's he is. 34 or something when this came out. Yeah. This is really his first big movie. The only mm-hmm. movie he had made before this, he had a small part in Bonnie and Clyde. Hmm. So this is really his first starring gig. Yeah. And he got nominated for Best Supporting Actor at the he Academy did. Awards, which I did not know until tonight, right before we started recording this. Mm-hmm. And I fucking love that. I love when comedic roles get nominated. And the ones that do yep. are always like this. They're so iconic and over the top. And the actor is so committed to the shtick that it's just unbelievable to watch. <laughs> and he does it because he starts just very tense and has an absolute fucking meltdown. <laughs> and to watch Gene Wilder, like you've seen him. he You're used to watching him in movies where he does that Gene Wilder yelling thing. Yeah. But <laughs> never quite like this, where he's like, yeah. sl- he's not even slapping himself in the face, but he's just, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> I'm hysterical. Like he, he tenses up his entire body. And he's turning red. His whole yeah. face is like going red he's and veins are like bulging I'm out. hysterical. I'm hysterical. I'm wet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in pain and I'm wet and I'm still hysterical. <laughs> but yeah, he's so young and it's just like, wow, wow. And he it's he ebbs and flows through the movie because yeah. he does have kind of a thread for the most of the movie. He's the straight man. He is. <laughs> but he's still nuts. <laughs> <laughs> he's, and yes, Gene Wilder is just showing you part of his genius here. Yeah. It's it's unfortunate that it took until he was in his mid thirties to f- to have people recognize all of that. Yeah, it's it's weird to say, but we only got a few decades of him. Actually, he didn't really do all that much. He's only got past the thirty 60s. some credits. Yeah, past the sixties and seventies, he didn't do much. So he made a whole bunch of movies with Richard Pryor. Yeah, have you seen any of those? I haven't. So the one I think, um, the one I saw as a kid was Hear No Evil, See No Evil, where one of them is blind and one of them is deaf. Okay. And they like witness a crime or something. And it's just, again, like over the top energy with the two of them. Did you know, Betsy? Did I know? What, Trent? That the character of Black Bart in Blazing Saddles was supposed to be... Richard Pryor. I did know that. Yeah. Yeah, so they would have had an opportunity to work together mm-hmm. earlier, but on a Mel Brooks movie. Yeah. Yeah. He was it was destiny, but it didn't it wasn't meant to it, be. It wasn't meant to be. Yeah. So but I think his name was the the actors with Cleavon Little, I think his name was. Who ended up being in it? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, he had kind of a uh, a, a tragic end to his life. That's like, like the only movie he ever made, like yeah, big movie. Yeah. The same thing with, like, Madeline Kahn. She didn't live too much longer after those she, movies. Well, she was around till the 90s, but she, she? she... Yeah, she died pretty young, though. Yeah. She was, like, in her 50s. Right. And Zero here, he only lived 10 years after this movie mm-hmm. came out. He died in 1976. Yeah. 
yeah, <laughs> it's really tragic that so many of these really, really talented people, they made their, they made the thing that they were known for and then they went away. But they're fucking iconic. It oh my really God. is. It these, really is. These two actors, like in this movie, it is rare to have a movie with two like powerhouses like this. And I'm really surprised that other directors and casting people didn't try to get these two back together again. For another project, no matter whatever it was. Yeah. I mean, think about all the movies that Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau did back then. uh, And just not even being the odd couple thing. Mm -hmm. It's just like, think about grumpy old men. Well, that was kind of all over the place in like this era in like the 60s and 70s. Whenever you had a duo that duo together, Mm -hmm. even before this, you know, like Bing Crosby and Bob Hope. Yeah. They have the road to... Whatever, yeah. They have like six of those. (laughs) Right, and that was, of course, back when they were just cranking movies out like crazy. But that's the thing. When you find a duo that works, you make a ton of movies. And yeah, maybe it was just because Gene Wilder kind of became a star and he got to do his own starring things and then Zero Mostel just didn't live much longer. That's true. And it's what I said about Gene Wilder. It was strange to have him play off another person. Mm -hmm. It's usually just him. Think about him and Willy Wonka. It's him, but he's playing off of everybody else. Mm -hmm. It's not him and another person. Right. So. It's him being him. Right. Except for in the other Mel Brooks movie he was in, Blazing Saddles. He's playing off of Cleavon Little. Yeah. Well, and he's also in, you know, Young Frankenstein. Right. Where, again, he's the star. He is very much the star. And there's other people there's an doing ensemble. stuff. There's an ensemble yeah. of, of other people underneath him. But still, he's the, the guy. Mm-hmm. But here he's not the guy. He's the second guy. Yeah. He's, he's the second fiddle. actor. He is second fiddle. Mm-hmm. And that's so strange to me. But he's amazing. Oh, fuck. I love this movie. <laughs> And the the writing is so quick that you kind of almost miss some of the jokes. And this movie is always interesting to me because I always forget how quiet it is. It's like almost watching a stage play because they're on a set. It's yeah. just the two of them. Yeah. This movie was clearly made for cheap because oh, there's not very many scenes that are like big outside of like this little set. Mm-hmm. And there's like no music. Not really. So it's like kind of strange to watch because it just feels like I'm watching two guys on a soundstage. (laughs) But they own the space. It's just jokes like, uh, you know, when he's, he just marches into the office, uh, Zero Mostel starts screaming at him and says, shut up! I'm having a rhetorical conversation. And he just gives a big monologue about how he used to be famous and he used to have all this money and now he needs his help. And then he screams help as loud as he can into his (laughs) ear. And then when he agrees to do it, he says, thanks. I knew I could con you. Yep. Yep. (laughs) There's little lines like that throughout this whole movie where it's like, wait, what did he say? (laughs) You have to keep up. Yes. But yeah, if you can, it's just joke after joke after joke. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we get we get the thing about uh, Gene Wilder's blue blanket. In the fucking blue blanket. <laughs> oh, my God. That's the beginning of his craze. Yeah. Yeah. He just whips it out and just starts screaming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Uh, uh, cough! <laughs> cough! Cough! <laughs> Trying to get somebody's attention by 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 coughing and then saying cough. Oh. And there's weird physical humor, like he just chucks his coffee at the window to clean yep. the coffee yep. or clean, the, clean window. the window. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. When they try to blow up the theater, they're dragging dy- dynamite behind them, mm-hmm. and it's just stupid little lines like, you know, don't shoot. If you shoot, it will get angry. It will get angry and it will kill us. It will blow us all up. Ah, Ivor puts this dynamite back. (laughs) Like, what? Uh huh. (laughs) And of course, the writing for this was also recognized by the Academy because, again, I forget Mel Brooks has an Oscar. He has an Oscar for this movie. movie For screenwriting, yeah. This one, best original screenplay. It wasn't quite called that. Yeah, in they those changed days. the name but since that's, then. But... That's the equivalent category. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Again, I love when these kinds of movies 
get nominated and win. Mm-hmm. And it's so, I wish it happened more. Because there are so many movies you and I have watched in the last few years that should have been nominated, deserved to be nominated, and they weren't. Totally. And, like, I imagine that this movie got, like, rave, rave reviews and was, like, beloved even back then. I have to imagine it was, like, a huge hit. I feel like there were probably just as many people who couldn't find the humor in it. <laughs> I guess. Because of course, but that's whole... any, that's every Mel Brooks movie. Right. The whole thing is he is ridiculing Hitler. Right. Like he is making Hitler the butt of the joke. It's not making light of the Holocaust. No. It's not making light of the war. It is making fun of Hitler, the human being. Yes. Because you have to be able to find humor in stuff like that. We talked about that in the intro. Yes, you have to be able to find the funny. Yes. In order for you to get over something. And it's so, like, twisted, this this movie, how they interpret it. Mm-hmm. Because there's these beautiful, like, chorus girls in leather boots and Nazi goose, uniforms. Goose-stepping to show turns. <laughs> show tunes. And then doing the Nazi salute, and then they form a chorus line in the form of a swastika, and everyone's mouth is a game. Right. The ridiculousness of that entire thing is the funniest <gasps> it thing. It goes so far. It's so fucking funny. And I, I find this about a lot of comedy that I, that I enjoy. Like a guy like George Carlin. He has a, a bit where he's saying, you know, my whole job here is to... Find the line, deliberately cross it, and then bring some people along with me. Mm-hmm. That's what Mel Brooks does. Absolutely. Every one of his movies like this is exactly like that. He finds where that line is. And back in the 60s and 70s, there were a lot more uptight people. And he got, he got a lot of people over to his side of things. I think he did. Because, yeah, you've got that. You've got this really over-the-top German former soldier who's screaming, I was never a member of the Nazi party! Right. (laughs) But then he, like, seems to have personally known Adolf Hitler because Uh he's like, where are my... He's a wonderful dancer. He was a wonderful dancer. (laughs) And that's Kenneth Mars, who is also in Young Frankenstein. If you don't remember this, he's the weird, like, constable dude who has, like, a weird wooden hand... I don't remember that. You part. don't remember that guy? No. Yeah, he's basically it's kind of the uh, the guy who comes up to the house while the monster is coming to life, and he's just like, "I was here to investigate." So he's like another weird German. Yeah. That too. And <laughs> but he looks completely different because he's got like a fucking eye patch and a mustache and sure. a pointy hat. <laughs> right. I didn't know for many years it was the same guy in that movie and this movie, mm-hmm. but yes, he was another Mel Brooks actor mel brooks brought him along a couple of times sure uh let's talk about just briefly briefly in the show i noticed there's a there's an actor on stage on the left hand side of the screen where they're talking like like goebbels is about to come on i think he's garing garing yeah he's garing he is the actor who plays Jerry Seinfeld's dad on, in, Seinfeld. on Seinfeld. I, I never noticed. I was like, there's no way I, you would know somebody I, in this I, movie. I said, okay, well, number one, I was looking at every single actor on screen to see if I could recognize anybody else. And I saw that guy's face. It's like, I know that guy from something. I know I do. So you looked it up and sure enough, yeah. sure enough. Oh, there's more people in this movie that you'd recognize. Maybe not as well as him because you definitely watch Seinfeld more sure. than some other stuff. Yeah. The woman playing Ava Braun yeah. is Fran Fine's mother from The Nanny. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I didn't know that either until I was just looking at the credits. I All was right. like, oh, good lord. That's a really weird coincidence because we just happened to have the TV on like two days ago. We were watching The Nanny. And The Nanny was on one of these like offshoot channels, like Cozy TV or something. Whatever. The Nanny's great. But yeah, these two <laughs> playing the parents on 90s TV shows. Right. And then there's the drunk guy in the bar. Yeah. I, when that guy looked familiar too. He's in Christmas Vacation. Oh, God. Oh, wait. Is he the I won the money guy? No, that's that's Vegas vacation. Oh. 
I don't know who that is. Who, who is that? So he, I have only seen Christmas Vacation once. Sorry for you people who like to watch it every single year. But yes, he's a little old man in Christmas Vacation. I don't know if he's a grandpa, an uncle, something like that. Oh. He also voices the mad scientist in The Nightmare Before Christmas. All he's right. the scientist who creates Sally. All right. Yeah. And when he spoke, I was like, oh, no, that makes a lot of sense. But he's, again, 30 years younger here. Sure. It's always harder to place people like that for me. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a few familiar faces, like kind of character actors sure. in the background of this movie. And then you asked, you said, is Mel Brooks in this movie? Yeah, so... He has a habit, let's say. He's one of those guys. He likes to put himself in his own movies. He does do that. So he is not physically in the movie. He is not. But he's the guy who says... I, uh, he says, don't be stupid, be a smarty, come and join the Nazi party. That's his voice, but it's not his body. <laughs> during, during the song Springtime for Hitler. Yes. And actually, this is fun. So if you go and watch the musical version of this he did the same line in the new movie <laughs> the 2005 movie yeah oh wow yeah because he was very much involved sure in doing this and yeah i i i don't know if he's got an egot but he absolutely has a tony and he absolutely has an oscar yeah and i'm sure he has some emmys because he wrote for tv for a long time right but yeah there you go. Because he didn't he write for Dick Van Dyke's show? I feel like he has some connection there. So Carl Reiner did Dick Van Dyke, so he may have because he and Carl Reiner were buddies. Yeah. He wrote Get Smart. Yeah. Get Smart was created by Mel Brooks. Okay. Which, again, I didn't know until much later in my life. Sure, yeah. Which also makes a lot of sense when you go <laughs> back and watch Get Smart. Oh, it's yeah. totally the, his the, humor. The cadence of, his, of the... Of the dialogue and the humor of it totally mm -hmm. Mel Brooks but I, I guess I don't really re recognize anybody else in the movie uh let's let's hit a few things that I wrote down here okay so this is 1967 correct what other movies can you think of where they're depicting gay men on screen I mean that's the thing this is kind of the era where they're you know coded this is very tongue-in-cheek Oh, yeah. Like, Mel Brooks knew exactly what he was doing. Oh, sure. Because we're making a movie about Broadway. And if sure. you would find gay men anywhere at any time, right. it would be on Broadway. And yes, they are very fluid and feminine and sassy to each other. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it is very clear these two are gay men. Mm -hmm. And... They do draw attention to it and make it, they call it out in the musical. They literally have a whole song about, you know, everybody is gay <laughs> on Broadway. You can't okay. do a show without gay people or of something. Course. In this, you can't get away with that. But you can heavily imply it. Yeah. And they go about as far as you can, where the director, Roger Dubris, <laughs> is like holding Leo's hand and like getting very close and staring into his face. Well, and they, they get into the elevator together and it's very awkward. Yeah, like the tiny elevator. Uh -huh. And like Max is literally bouncing around inside and also, outside. Also, if you didn't know that was a set, he just like crashes into the cardboard elevator. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, this movie was done on a budget. This was on a budget, yes. <laughs> but you're right. These two guys very clearly are gay characters. Yeah. But they don't say it. No, they, they never come out. That. They never come out and say nope. it. They don't mm -mm. do anything other than be catty to each other, I guess you could say. And one wears a dress because he's going to the choreographer's ball. Right, you have to have a reason for it. You can't just say, oh yeah, this person wears a dress. And that's pretty much where they end that little part of the part of the joke. Oh, yeah. They don't really bring it up again. They just demonstrate how bad a director he is, where he says, oh, I'm sick of these chorus girls. One, two, kick, ten, 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 kick, ten. <laughs> and then immediately he's like, I'm going to do serious drama. Wait, I have a vision. One, two, kick, ten, 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 kick, ten. <laughs> <laughs> but them dressed as stormtroopers. That's Not right. a Star Wars reference. That's not a Star <laughs> No. No. The they're the Bad, the bad. Wait, 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 wait. 
Moving on. <laughs> but yeah, and he's like reading the script and something. He's like, oh, this third act is just so bad. They're losing the war. <laughs> what a downer. What a downer. We got to fix that. And the other character we soon meet after, after we see, you know, dozens of Hitler <laughs> wannabes. Oh my God, that the, whole scene. The open auditions. You don't have to have any experience to audition right. for the role. Dancing Hitlers over here, singing Hitlers over here. And I love just the grouping of them. Like there's a dude in a Speedo like flexing yes. and posing. Yes. <laughs> there's one dude who looks like a cab driver just with the little mustache. Yeah. They have guys that actually look the part. They don't even let them sing. And then this is the piece that they changed that it's like, this is very quintessentially the 60s. 60s. Yeah. And it's when we meet Lorenzo Saint-Dubois. Also known as LSD. Also known as LSD, who sings a very 1960s song about the power of the flower. Yep. He's got like a Campbell soup can around his mm -hmm. neck and with single earring and little finger tambourines mm -hmm. and he's singing about love and it's very hippie 1960s 100% that is about the one thing in this movie that is yeah this movie was made in the 60s he's just a hippie he's a stereotypical hippie he is a hippie and of course he gets the role yeah but then that makes Hitler very funny right and that's where it all goes downhill uh-huh so not so much about the movie, but just kind of the context of where we are and when we are. So when, at the beginning of the movie, Leo is just there to do the books. And he comes up with this hypothetical right. that you actually could do it under the right circumstances, make more money with a flop than a hit. Right. Because then you don't have to owe all of your investors. Right. So Max basically says oh for the scheme to work this is what we have to do but he won't go along with it so he takes him out and he gives him shows him a nice time yeah. like they go to central park and they walk around and he buys him a balloon and they ride the carousel together on the same horse on the same horse <laughs> and they go out on the lake in a boat yeah and they go up top of the empire state building and they visit the lincoln center and they go to like a sexy movie show <laughs> or something there's oh, like a weird yeah. Yeah. He takes him to a thing called War and Peace, P-I-E-C-E. -E, uh -huh. And there's like a lady in a bikini on yeah. the cover. But yes, they go to Lincoln Center. And I was thinking about it and I looked this up. Lincoln Center opened in 1962. Okay. The very earliest stuff opened in 1962. So that was five years old when they made this. All right. Which, it was probably not like a super well-known building complex outside of New York at that time. Sure. I'm sure people like, oh, it's this big deal in New York. Right. But yeah, I hadn't thought about it. It wasn't internationally known as no. the Lincoln Center. That's not where you have like big, big galas. No. And now it's, you know, just huge and very, very iconic. Yes. Many, many movies have filmed in that little in that courtyard in that plaza. Ghostbusters did it. Yep. Remember that scene? <laughs> yeah. That was always my point of reference for Lincoln Center was Ghostbusters. <laughs> Jeez. All right. You know, the normal reasons. Um, See, so yeah, they have their little jaunt in the park. Uh, and he finally convinces him, okay, yeah, I'll do it. Uh, after, basically, he's this put-upon accountant that never lives a, a day in his life. And it's like, damn it, I want something for me. Me, finally, something for me. And he finally does it. Yep. Even though he's not the type of person to be the criminal. No. No, he is not. But by the end of the movie, he's very much in. Sure. <laughs> he goes right along with it. Yeah. But yeah, the, the short version of the scheme is they're going to go out and get as many investors as possible. Little old ladies. Little old ladies that Max is going out and doing whatever with. Showing them a good time. Yeah, whatever that happens to be. And gets all this money. But at the same time, when you take investors, you have to give a stake. You have to give a stake of whatever it is that you're investing in. Yep. And they get a share of the profits. But if there are no profits, they get nothing. That's so the thing about investing. So the whole point of this is they're investing into, into making the production. If the production only costs $20,000, 
you get a percentage back of your $20,000 investment if there's one investor. If there are multiple investors, that adds up to, let's say, $100,000. They get whatever percentage that they put into that full production. Again, but if there's no profits, there's nothing to distribute. That's just a loss for the investors. Which is why... But the producer didn't lose out on anything. Which is why their investors have uh, 25,000% in springtime. 25,000% share of the entire show has been sold. Yes. Well, and then at the end of the movie, of course, they go to prison and they're putting on a brand new musical. They're called Prisoners of Love. Prisoners of Love. And they're doing the same scheme and they're selling shares, which if you were doing your math very quickly... Uh In just three people, they sold 100%. Yep. And they had a line of people. Uh-huh. And it's like, well, okay, what? Okay. Like, who are you guys? I know, you. like, the warden is investing. Do you really think this is going to be a hit? Otherwise, I don't know. They're just getting your money. I don't know. But okay. Yeah, the the, the cut to them, like, after the, the dynamite blows up, I guess that's how they get found out. And there's like a whole, you could have had like so much in between when mm-hmm. that fails, them getting, I guess, arrested and found out. Like what happened to the theater? Like all of that stuff you don't see. It's all the way to the end of the trial. And they say, we find the defendants incredibly guilty. <laughs> they are. They're I inc- love that line. Incredibly. It's little nuances like yeah. that that take a joke from. Well, that's kind of funny, too. Okay, that's funny. <laughs> and it's just the addition of a small word, a yeah. small addendum. Or it's like taking something on on its head, like he asks the question, where did I go right? <laughs> I, I got the wrong director. I got the wrong cast. I got the wrong script. Where did I go right? Yep. And have this be a hit. <laughs> or just the moments where... You take a simple joke where Gene Wilder grabs him by the face and starts screaming, fat, fat, fat. (laughs) He's so frustrated he doesn't have words anymore. I'm sorry I called you fat, fat, fat. (laughs) They have also like a sweet relationship in this movie. That's the other thing that's interesting about this. Like they're very like caring to each other because they're friends. Sure, I guess. They they hate each other because they panic. Yeah. But he also, you know, gives gets up in the courtroom and gives this long speech about who did he really hurt? Not me. Not me. (laughs) But it doesn't matter. You're all going to fucking prison. It doesn't matter. Oh. The German guy wrapped in gauze singing Yankee Doodle Dandy in the mm-hmm. corner. <laughs> yeah. And how does he only get... A, he, he got all the way hurt and the other ones only got a couple of bandages. Because he was running he at was it. He was closer. Yeah, but that's why. I guess. He was running at it. Oh, boy. Well, I mean, that's that's pretty much the, the long and short of it here, Betsy. I, it, it is a movie that must be It's such a damn classic. Now, you've seen the 2005 Matthew Broderick version. Yes. The musical. I have. What do you think of that? I don't know if we're ever going to watch that, but not not, not for the show anyway. It's not a great movie, but it's an all right movie. It's a good homage. Yeah. I think the show is really good when it's done on stage, and it's pretty faithful to the stage adaptation. Okay. But the thing you were just saying where... It jumps from this point to this point to this point. They kind of fill those gaps in in oh. the musical. Okay. So, like, there's a storyline of Leo and Ula kind of shacking up together, and they fly to Rio and abandon Max. Oh, God. And then Max goes to jail, and while he's getting tried, Leo comes back to try to save the day. And then they both go to jail. <laughs> Spoilers, I don't remember. Guys. I don't remember that part. Yeah, so that's basically what happens. But Leo and Ula shack up and get married, <laughs> and Ula has much more to do. Yeah, like she gets a big song and I was, dance number. Yeah, I was a little confused why, like, she has like no lines. There's hardly no. any lines of dialogue for her. She's not there to talk. No, <laughs> I, I realize that now. It, it was 1967. But, yeah, in the show that I saw, the secretary had a lot more to do. 
Yes. She aud- she shows up and auditions basically for yeah. them. And she has a big number and then she becomes the secretary. Sure. So she is still their secretary, but there's more to it. Right. Than and that. and in the movie she just kind of shows up because I want a treat. Right. Or I want to, no, sorry, excuse me, I want a toy. That's the line I think I probably bring up from this movie the most. Whenever I'm having a hard time, I just, to myself, I'm buying a toy. I've worked very hard and I deserve a toy. <laughs> and in, this, in that case, it could be, I'm going to buy this thing. I'm going to get get myself a treat yes. or whatever it happens to be. I worked hard this week. Damn it, I need something. I would say that and oh joy of joys, oh dream of dreams. Those are the two things from this movie I'm constantly saying. <laughs> oh joy of joys, oh dream of dreams. <laughs> and Bides. Bides? Yeah, the woman. I'm yes. not I'm not your madam, I'm the concierge. <laughs> if for a movie based in New York, that is the only New Yorker in the entire movie. That is true. Her and the guy selling hot dogs. Yeah, I guess. I am not your good man. I happen to own this establishment. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> the street people, if you will. Yes. Uh, yeah, and the other big change, going back to the musical, the Lorenzo character isn't in it. So okay. what they ultimately do is they take Franz, mm-hmm. and he's their Hitler. Oh. But then something else happens... And Roger Dubree ends up playing the role of Hitler. So then in the musical, he's a big gay Hitler. (laughs) Even better. (laughs) So yes, he's just like very flamboyant and over the top. And again, they they literally just say it in that version. Uh, Like keep it gay, I think is what they call it. But of course... I think they're using it the other way. One means gay, but you know what they well, mean. Well, it's in the title of the of the entire show. A I gay can't romp. Yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's a gay romp with with Adolf and Ava. Yeah, Beer's Garden. I, I can't. I can't remember what the what the full title is. Yes. But that yes, that word. Because remember, in the 1960s, gay meant something else entirely. Uh huh. Also. <laughs> Sunny and funny and happy. All that on that same channel, they show the Flintstones, like the OG Flintstones, on that same channel. We saw the the nanny mm-hmm. from from the sixties. That word is a part of the intro song. Yes. And back in the sixties, you never equated the word gay with being a homosexual or whatever. No. No. It was happy. It was fun. It was whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It has a double meaning in some movies. <laughs> I guess. Anyway. All right. So, any more thoughts about this here movie, Betsy? Where did Lorenzo get a banana? I had the same thought. <laughs> he sings a song, and then he's lying on the floor, and he suddenly produced a banana. And it's just like, what the fuck? Well, he, like, breaks it off, throws it away, and then puts it up to his ear like it's a phone. And sucks his thumb. <laughs> banana phone. <laughs> Ring, ring. Banana phone. Ring, ring. Oh. <laughs> this movie is incredibly stupid, and I love it. <laughs> Good. Much like a lot of Mel Brooks movies. They're they're all very stupid, but the good kind of stupid. Yeah. They're smart. It's, it's towing yeah. that line between incredibly smart and incredibly stupid. Yeah. And that's where Mel Brooks lives, and that's, that's where, why I love him. That's where a lot of my humor comes from, is you have to understand what it is that they're covering for you to actually get the jokes. Mm-hmm. It's not just silly fun or, like, slapstick fun. You have to be informed of why these things are funny. Like, Hitler up there being a hippie and all these other guys being these flamboyant Nazis, that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> And he did it time and time again. So, you know, he did it with Blazing Saddles. Yeah. Like, race in the 70s. Uh-huh. Like, you have to understand why that's funny. Mm-hmm. There's humor in there because there's something actually there. Yeah. And then, you know, with, like, Young Frankenstein, it's such a tribute to old Hollywood movies. Yeah, it's like a the spoof. monster movies. It's a, it's a complete spoof. But it's also an absolute love letter. Yeah. It's both. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's funny. Because if you just make fun of it, it's not funny. But if you love it and make fun of it, <laughs> it's tremendously funny. That's why I humiliate you sometimes. Because I love you. 
and it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. That's that's why. That's why. All right. Only to you, though. I don't do that to, in front of other people, except on a podcast. It's true. To all of our listeners. <laughs> all of our all listeners. two of our listeners. <laughs> no, there's more than that. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing this. That's right. But yeah, that's. I'm glad we watched this movie. I finally convinced you to sit down and do this one. It's a great movie. I love it. Indeed. All right, Betsy, let's read an email so we can get the hell out of here. Uh, let's talk about Bend It Like Beckham. That's a movie we watched. It is. It's that football movie. Football. Football. Uh, from Stephanie about Bend It Like Beckham. Oh, 2002, how we love thee. This movie was cute and fun. I was obsessed with Kira Knightley's hair. And then she attached a photo, Betsy. <laughs> From herself in 2004. I'm going to say this is like one of her high school photos. I'm going to say so. Probably a senior photo. It is incredible. So, there you go. So, Kira Knightley's hair. Yep. There you go. Just just imagine Kira Knightley's hair. <laughs> On any of your friends circa 2004. Exactly. It's great. Um, continuing on, sisters know exactly how to hurt you the deepest. Sisters are bitches, <laughs> but we love them. They're also the easiest to make up with, at least in my experience. Correct. Uh, ascots are the easiest way to spot a rich asshole. Yeah. Yeah. Who wears in, an what, ascot? in what other context would you ever wear an ascot unless you're trying to look rich? Not that you are rich, you're trying to look rich. Correct. That's always the joke, the cliche when right. guys are trying to like impress women. Right. They'll put on a smoking jacket and an ascot to look smart and and successful. Yeah. Yeah. What what's like the modern 2022 version of that? Probably still an ascot. <laughs> When's the last time you saw anybody wear an ascot? Somebody at work. I wore know an lots. Ascot. I know lots of rich assholes in my life. I've never seen them wear okay, a mascot. A turtleneck and a chain, but with some fancy fucking designer shit somewhere on your person. There you go. There I you literally go. saw someone dressed like this a few weeks ago, and he was wearing a Louis Vuitton belt. And I couldn't listen to anything else he was saying because I was too distracted by his $500 belt buckle. By the douchebaggery. That's right. Yes. And he was wearing a turtleneck. And a, there you go. That's, I'll stand by that statement. That's right. the modern equivalent. Thank you. Continuing on. Yay, Trent loves the Spice Girls. We didn't really dwell on this in the last episode. And yeah, I had that album. I learned a lot of their songs. And I think I impressed Betsy when we were dating when I would be able to recite a lot of their songs. I love you. I love you for this. I love you for this. But do you know their choreography? I'm not going to say yes. No! Why would I know that? I know the choreography for Stop, and I have known it for 25 years, and it will never leave my body. It's there forever. Oh, my God. It's not that complicated. That's the thing. No. When you learn it, it's just in there forever. Sure. And I could not tell you the reason why I decided to buy that album. But I owned it, and I listened to it a lot. But then again, I didn't have a lot of albums back in the day. I was very picky about what I chose, and that was one of them. That album's full of bangers. <laughs> it really is. It's amazing. It really is. There's a reason the Spice Girls are like still famous 20, and don't have to put music out. Sure, and 20-plus years later, that's still in my brain. Good. You said stop. And, like, the lyrics just started pouring out of my mind. Yep. It's it's incredible. It's in there. Yeah. I just pushed play. Or maybe that's just me. No, actually, that's you. This me. You, rec you remember all of the lyrics. Maybe bit. that's why you perform. Maybe. You're very good at memorizing lyrics. I am. Anyway. It's a thing I, I struggle with. It's true. You don't struggle with it, Betsy. You it's a personal struggle. I'm really good at it. It causes me grief. <laughs> it's true. All right, let's finish this thing. Uh, the romance is super unnecessary. Coaches should not date players. Though I do have an uncle that married a girl that he coached. I still don't condone that. Fun! Yeah. Just power dynamics and like... Yeah. No. Don't do Lines. it. Lines. 
Don't yeah. cross them. Yeah. Make your own lines and do not cross them. Have other people like check on you to make sure that you're not doing that. It's, it, that's why you, you normally have like assistant coaches and stuff like that. It's not just you. Yeah. But yeah, dude. Just no. Don't do it. No. Uh, and she finishes. Not a lot else to say. It's just a nice movie. It is. It is a nice movie. And you're a nice emailer, Stephanie. Thanks, Stephanie. Thank you, Stephanie. If you want to be like Stephanie and be a super fan, you can also email us at neverseenitpod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, neverseenit underscore pod, and tell us about all the different football movies that you would like to watch. All the Mel Brooks movies you enjoy. All the Mel Brooks movies. Like, what's your favorite Mel Brooks movie? I don't know. We've never done a Mel Brooks movie on this show before. We'll probably do some more. Oh, we'll come back to him. Yeah. We have plenty that you have not watched. Yeah, and... I mean, I would say the quintessential Mel Brooks movie for me is Blazing Saddles. I It's a good choice. It's just so good. It's packed. It is packed to the brim with jokes. There it goes so many different places. And, and quick. It, They're and, quick. And, and and that's just his style. And it covers the gamut of every single topic that you would ever want to 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 to, to joke about. And he does it with such style. And you know the, the 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 conversation in this era is, would that movie work today? Like, could you make that movie now? I would posit you can't make it now, but the movie as it was still holds up today. Oh yeah, and that's Richard Pryor knowing how to address it. Yeah, you have to have that other perspective, and because you know. Mel Brooks isn't a dummy. He knows that if he's going to write a whole bunch of jokes about, you know, racism and black people and white people and whatever else, he needs to have backup. He needs to have another perspective there that can have more authenticity to that, to those jokes. Correct. He's the old Jew. <laughs> yeah. he, he's got his he, niche. Yeah, he, he can write all those different, you know, old Jew jokes that you can come up with. But when it comes to other kinds of jokes coming from other perspectives, you need that cover. And I think he pulled it off. They pulled it off. He and Richie. Because they call him Richie. Absolutely. But yes, tell us about that movie or any other movie that you want. Yes. I could go on about Blazing Saddles and all those other movies, but we're done with this one. If you want to support us, click the link in the podcast description. You can throw us a buck if you want. If not, that's okay. Share us with your friends. Uh, rate us on iTunes. All that good stuff. But Betsy, uh, we will be back with an Oscar episode next episode on Sunday. Uh, but until then, this has been Never Seen It. My name is Trent. My name is Betsy. And we'll catch you next time. Bye, guys.